Welcome to the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series with Dr. Dave Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is the author of Cybersecurity Readiness, a holistic and high-performance approach. He has been studying cybersecurity for over a decade, authored and edited scholarly papers, delivered talks, conducted webinars, consulted with companies, and served on a cybersecurity SWAT team with chief information security officers. Dr. Chatterjee is an associate professor of management information systems at the Terry College of Business, the University of Georgia, and visiting professor at Duke University's Pratt School of Engineering. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome you to this episode of the Cybersecurity Readiness Podcast Series. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Vishal Salvi, Chief Information Security Officer and Head of Cyber Practice, Infosys. I'm sure you all are familiar with Infosys, but just in case you're not, Infosys is a global leader in next-generation digital services and consulting. So Vishal, delighted to have you. It's truly an honor. And I'd like to bring you into the discussion and let you share with the listeners a few things, your highlights about your professional journey. So welcome. Thank you, Dave, for having me here. And it's my pleasure to be here on this podcast. My name, as you already introduced me, but my role is of protecting Infosys as a global CISO for Infosys. And apart from that, I have an additional responsibility of delivering the same value for our customers. So I head the cybersecurity business as well. And, and this positions me to really be end-to-end accountable for cybersecurity across all spectrums in my organization. Great to hear. One question I like to ask all CISOs, and especially somebody like you who's a global CISO of a major organization, does your job keep you up at night? What worries you? I always thought that a cybersecurity and a CISO role was extremely challenging and if I may say, a hopeless one, because, you know, there's so many challenges stacked against you. It's an asynchronous war. You need to make sure you are protecting all your vulnerabilities and the bad guys need to just exploit one. So so for a large part of my career, I always thought that we were like sitting ducks. But then um, once I started to work in organizations which are committed to investing in people in technology in and committing to the cause of security i have kind of begun to change my opinion on this and i do believe that this problem can be solved it just needs that mindset and the resources which are required for you to be able to deal with it right and it's not about it's not about doing something today and then forgetting about it because you've done some good work here it's constantly watching how the threat landscape is changing and pivoting to a new way of working. And you're constantly sort of agile and adaptive to what's happening around and not having a status quo. Now, I know I've given a long answer to your question, but in reality, I, I have a very peaceful sleep most of the time. And that's largely because you know that you and your team have done uh, the right things for your organization. and that therefore got it to be a better situation as compared to where it was yesterday. And so long as you're doing that, you know, you, you can be happy about it. You just don't want to have a self-goal created or, or something which is fundamentally 
missing, right? So I think those are the things that you need to really care for. If you do that, you will have a much stress-free uh, role as far as, as a CISO. Great, great. So continuing on that reflective trajectory, I also want to ask you, and this is good for your peers to hear, what makes you so good at what you do? What do you bring to the table by way of strengths? So I would not like to use those adjectives for myself that I'm good or these are the things, but I can obviously share some of the lessons learned and what one could look at. So I think there are first things about, you know, your professional traits or your leadership traits. And then it's about what you do for the domain. But the reality is, and it's so fascinating that cybersecurity roles actually test all your leadership capabilities, you know, fully. Because you need to you need to be able to engage with your leadership, with your board. And so you need to really have a good executive presence, right? You need to be tactful to really answer questions, difficult questions in a very, uh, in a manner in which people can really understand and relate to. At the same time, you don't, you don't make mistakes and you don't give wrong information. So you need to be on top of your data and facts. That's very important. The next thing is you need to be able to articulate, first of all, define a vision and then articulate that vision for your team. So they have something to look forward to and something to target. That requires a fair amount of understanding on how to design a strategy, what goes into execution of a strategy. That's very important. The third and a very important aspect of the job is your influencing skills, right? Because at the end of the day, you are trying to influence all other stakeholders who are not cybersecurity. So the, typically a cybersecurity organization is either 0.5 to 1% of your whole organization. And you have, and we all know that security is everyone's responsibility. So this 0.5% of your organization is trying to get the 99.5% to do the right thing when it comes to security. And so it needs a lot of influencing for people to do the right things and take the right decisions when it comes to protecting their organization and also making right behavior, which is a very difficult change management program in any given organization. So you need to be able to understand human behaviors, why people take decisions in certain ways, and then touch upon the topic of psychology of security, understand the biases, and then work on those biases in a way where you can have the right interventions for you to be effective in changing the culture and changing the behavior, right? Absolutely, yeah. Apart from that, there are things like engaging with the vendor community and partnering with them because at the end of the day, security is delivered by their technologies and you are as good as what weapons you have in your hand. So how do you engage with them? How do you engage with law and enforcement to help in better propagation of how to catch the adversaries and how do you make them attribution and then make them accountable. And then, you know, also law and enforcement, apart from law and enforcement, you talk about regulators and looking at shaping of compliance and all those things. So, I mean, there are plenty more stakeholders, including customers. So as a CISO, you need to really be able to understand all these stakeholders and be able to work on yourself as an individual to make these relationship successful and that that will test all these elements that I talked about. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking about the significance of 
CISO empowerment. I'd like you to speak to that. If you had a say on how CISO should be empowered by the organization, who should CISO be reporting to? What would be the ideal organization structure? So this is one topic which has been hotly debated for many years in the information security and the cybersecurity space, right? If you look at an example in India, in the Indian banking industry, the local regulator, which is the Reserve Bank of India, has mandated that every CISO needs to be reporting independent of IT. And this happened around seven years back as a mandate. And so there's every single CISO in, in the Indian banking industry is independent of the CIO, right? If you look at North America, and if you do the survey of all the global organizations, it's 50-50, right? 50% of the CISOs report to CIOs and 50% report to somebody else, right? My view is like this. You need to ensure you remove all the conflicts that could exist in an organization when it comes to driving cybersecurity. It is always preferred that you make the CISO independent of CIO and elevate the CISO to a level where you are able to drive the mandate of cybersecurity. So the more elevated and more empowered the CISO is, the more committed is your mission to cyber. So you could, as an organization, say that security is very important to all your stakeholders. But if you have made the CISO report to somebody three levels below a CIO, you know, in reality, there's hardly any difference that that CISO is going to make. Even if he's capable of all the trades that I talked about, the organization structure would not allow that CISO to perform in a manner which is required for that independence of that CISO, right? And the last thing I would say is that apart from independence, you need to have the CISO report to the most powerful person in the organization because then you get the right resources and sponsorship to your organization. So, so if the CFO is the most powerful, then maybe go to CFO. If it is, if the chief operating officer, then go to the chief operating officer. I think it's very important that you need to really position that person. I am not a fan of saying that the person should report to CEO because the CEO will be so busy doing so many other things on business and other things that would not be able to give the time and bandwidth for the CISO to do the job effectively. So you need somebody who is able to give time and bandwidth as much as should be powerful. So I think those aspects will definitely empower the CISO to perform to the best of that person's ability. Yeah, and I'm sure you, you'll probably agree that to gain that kind of access or that level of reporting that you're talking about, the CISO also has to earn the trust and credibility and also be respected. To earn the trust, to earn that respect, what are some things that CISOs should be doing? And I pose this question with an example. I was speaking with the CISO of a, a restaurant chain last year, I believe, and she made a very interesting statement. She said, I never cry wolf. Anytime I walk into a boardroom at a major management meeting and I offer my thoughts and my suggestions, my concerns about the information security related matters. It's taken very seriously because they know that I would not be going in there requesting stuff that is unnecessary or I won't be overselling anything. So that got me to recognize and believe how important it is for the CISO to set the mindset, to set that tone, 
that earns the respect of the leaders and that helps pave the way for greater empowerment and greater access. And again, I'm coming at it from outside in. You are the one who works in the organization who has significant experience. What are your thoughts? So I think it's very important. You know, there are different traits of an individual or a team which can help you to build that credibility. And I think building that credibility is important to get what you want out of the organization, right? And so it's not only about getting sponsorship. It's also about getting support uh, across all your stakeholders that I just talked about, right? So I'll give you an example. So whenever we used to, or whenever I go for any funding requirement, maybe perhaps most of the time it is to the finance, you give some commitments to them in terms of what you would do with that money, right? I think it's very important that once you've kind of implemented that project, you go back and show that evidence of that outcome and stay accountable to do, deliver that outcome, even if you're not being asked to do that. That increases your credibility in front of the person because they would be more trusting in future when you go back and ask for something more, right? So that's that's one strategy. Uh, the other example is about being able to explain and talk the consequences of various decisions. And to be honest with you, Dave, I think your strategies need to be dynamic to the situation and to the culture of a given organization. So I've seen, I've worked in seven organizations and I've seen that what worked in one uh, would not work in another. You need to really understand the culture and then decide on what strategies you want to adopt. I won't say cry wolf is a good strategy, but then trying to explain to them the impact of no action is very important and making it very transparent and open for decision making is very important right so i think that i think is very critical if you do these things then i think uh, you are able to sort of uh, create a, a level of credibility for yourself it could also be the last point i wanted to mention is it could also be that you allowed somebody to take a particular decision in spite of you warning but and once that risk manifests, you need to make sure you are able to actually remind that individual or team of the consequences of the decision they've taken so that in future, they're very careful about you know, these aspects. So I think it's a combination of all of these strategies and more, which helps you to build your credibility within your organization. But about all of these things, the most important thing is that you should be able to deliver on your agenda always, right? So if you're telling all of these things, getting money, but you're not able to deliver on your projects and you're not able to give the feeling to all your stakeholders that security is going in the right direction, then you will not be able to gain the credibility that you want. Delivering on your agenda. So if that's the goal, and which makes total sense, what would be a few metrics that you recommend CISOs track or you track that gives you a sense whether you're on the right trajectory or you need to do something different, what would those important metrics be? So one of the things that I have been using for almost two decades now in Cyber is to really create a, a maturity model of areas of work that you want to run for, for your program, right? And the good thing about cybersecurity is that there is a well-defined articulation of how you would want to look at the components. Now, 
one of the ways to look at it is to look at NIST, which is very clearly articulated in terms of what are the high-level components and what are the subcategories. You could create your own framework. Uh, I have been using uh, ISF, the Information Security uh, Forums framework, uh, very extensively, and it has really served me well. Uh, and so you sort of make security into components. And then once you have defined those components, you start putting a maturity model on the control that you want to operate in each of those components and then figure and build a methodology in terms of measuring the, the maturity of each of those controls and then start executing your plan to improve the maturity on a year-on-year basis, right? And that has really worked for, for me in terms of engaging with the leadership, engaging with the, with the board, helping me to create a strategy giving a clear vision to the team in terms of what that goal is and then striving towards improving that maturity. Because like I said, security is, is challenge is all about getting better every single day as compared to what you were yesterday. So that model has really worked and it, it helps you to define and therefore it helps you to measure, right? And once you start doing that, you improve. The last thing I wanted to say is that just so that you are kept honest, you always get a third party to audit your assessment and uh, analysis of your maturity so that the third party also validates that you are on the same page and it gives independent assurance to all your stakeholders in terms of how you're progressing, including yourself. Yeah, absolutely. You want that reality check and you want that third party party validation and external validation. That's so important. You know, along those lines, once again, I'm referring to a discussion I had with a CISO who made a very interesting comment. He said, today's companies lack disclosure requirements that show the level of cyber risk for publicly traded companies and their software. And he is of the opinion, he believes that enhancing cyber transparency to customers and investors through reporting, you know, formalized reporting, like in the US, we have the SEC reporting, that could bring about a sea change in a variety of things probably the most important of which being the top management commitment. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm I'm all for increasing the transparency and making every organization accountable for, you know, sharing whatever is happening in, in their organization on breaches and attacks. I'm all for that. I think we also need to see as a society how we are mature to receive such disclosures. So in past, when we have, whenever there have been a major breach, I think the organization which have got impacted have actually been more victimized than been empathized towards, you know, something like that could have happened to them, right? I think things are changing and gradually, and I believe, you know, when, when the solar wind disclosure happened, you know, we, we handled it much more mature, in a much more mature way as compared to perhaps what happened in case of Target. So I think as a society, if you are mature to say that the more you disclose, the more we will appreciate what you are as an organization, I think is important. Otherwise, you know, the organizations find it very difficult because they get caught between the two, two issues of disclosure versus the reputational damage that that could cause. So, so I think we need to start looking at that. Of course, when it comes to matters of privacy, I think, uh, you know, if you don't do timely disclosures, there are significant penalties. That is motivation enough for people to do it in a timely manner, which is a good thing. Uh, So I think overall, I would say that 
we have a lot of work to do to make sure that we are able to encourage people to do uh, a transparent and honest disclosures uh, rather than looking at them with suspicion and the fact that they have not had security controls in places so, you know that's i think that's the point i would like to make okay well thank you for that so i'd like to take this opportunity to share with listeners that uh, vishal uh, spoke to my class on cybersecurity at duke university i teach in the master's program there and vishal was very kind to connect uh, with us it was late in the night in india morning here in the us and he came online and he spoke and he made some telling points the students were very impressed so i draw from some of the things you shared with the students and with me the other day and one of the things you emphasized was the importance of top management engagement top management commitment again given your extensive experience working across different organizations in the public and private sector what would you consider to be some best practices where you can say you know this is a good example when the top management walks the talk yeah so i've been privileged to work in organizations who have been very security conscious and i've had the uh, privilege of working with leaders who have been uh, stalwarts and great role models in decision making right but i would not say that that you'll find this you know across uh, organizations and across industries so you'll always have various examples when you look at risk decisions right at a very fundamental level you're talking about value at risk versus cost of remediation so you really don't want to have a situation where the cost of remediation is higher than the value at risk right so that's a foundational principle the second thing is when you start defining policies for your given organization you need to be able to implement it consistently across the organization you don't need to have a, a separate set of policies for your senior leaders and a separate set of policies for your juniors you don't want to have a situation where all the usps and admin access is removed and the password policies are stringent for juniors and exactly the opposite for leaders right so i have had uh, ensured you know that uh, it is consistently implemented uh, right from the ceo uh, to the last uh, person who is a frontline warrior now this kind of a dilemma comes in you know in major organizations and i've seen many examples where we have we have had my leaders who have uh, stood by the policy statements and have ensured that you know we are able to talk to some senior people saying why it is important for them to comply so for example at infosys everybody has to take a mandatory cybersecurity course right from the presidents to the junior staff and if they don't the next day their email outbox you know and sending mails will get blocked till such time they complete it and that is consistently implemented across so this is one example of how important it is another example is you know if if you if you are asking every employee to display their i card you know the ceo needs to do the same and needs to do it with pride so that there is consistency and people follow your role models right so, so there are many such examples you know when you are trying to introduce an application into production and there are multiple risks and gaps you have identified it's the decision that a leader takes whether you hold back for another couple of weeks and hold a business opportunity but make sure that the security is implemented and it's a tough call but that gives and sets the tone in your organization 
whether you are security focused or you want to take risk decisions and when you say setting the tone of whether you are security focused or you're taking risk decisions that brings up the next topic that i want to talk to you about and you alluded to that you talked about that in my class which is the information security culture and as you probably have read in my book i talk about creating and sustaining a high performance information security culture a culture is something which is kind of abstract it is very hard to get your arms around it so whenever you bring up this discussion on culture people want to for lack of a better word look the other way and they want to focus on things that are more tangible but i'd like your thoughts on what a high performing information security culture is how do you get there and how do you sustain it that's a great question dave and i think you know there are there are a lot of uh, dimensions to this right uh, at a fundamental level what you would want to do is to at a minimum tell all your employees or all your stakeholders within your organization what is the difference between right and wrong behavior right so nobody can claim that they were ignorant when they actually committed a mistake or an error so at a minimum you need to make sure that that is said to every single stakeholder right that's number one now in spite of you talking about you know that smoking is injurious to health we still have people who who go ahead and smoke right and that's a behavior issue or that's a habit issue right it could be because of somebody is conditioned to doing certain things from his previous organization and would expect that to happen in your organization as well right and i can give you an example of a person who came from a, 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 another organization and he was boasting about that he still continues to have the laptop with him in spite of leaving the organization and nobody cared to come and collect that guess what when he left he thought he could exfiltrate data because he thought nobody will care and he was caught stealing it and he was made accountable uh, for that action so you know there are these examples where people are conditioned to do certain things from their previous habits and for no fault of theirs because that's the culture that they were they were into right and so that's what they know and so it's a very difficult thing to make them understand and change their behaviors and habits once they get into your organization and over there you need to use all the channels of diplomacy right in terms of giving them carrot giving them a stick building a competitiveness within them you know in terms of so all of that is required for you to really use these avenues for you to really create a culture within your organization and culture is not something that you can do overnight it's something which takes time you know and you need to give it that time for it to emerge right and you have to keep doing small things every day for it to become what it should right so so that's also very important and the third thing is the talk the example that i just gave you know in terms of what is the tone that we are setting from the board from the leadership uh, and commitment and that also creates a culture right so so i know for example we we have a very strong control over the use of usbs the use of admin access the use of download of any software and we are a technology firm right and anybody would argue that you know experience uh, is important high tech you need to be al- allowed to do whatever you want to do but in reality we know that security tools have not matured enough to give you a seamless experience of using technology without being hampered by some controls 
So you need to draw a fine balance till the tools become so mature that security is effective and still transparent, right? Till such time, you need to be able to understand that, yes, I need to have a speed breaker for me to control my car, right? Because that's really how it is. And, and we need to govern it. But there are certain countries where you don't need it because the rules are working perfectly fine. So I think we need to be able to build that understanding and culture and allow every single person to ad- adopt to that, which, which creates the right behavior within an organization. And the last thing I would say is that we spend a lot of time doing red teaming and testing technologies and systems and finding out vulnerabilities. We need to also do that on humans because they are the ones who get most exploited through social engineering and various attacks. And you need to test their ability to take right decisions. For example, you catch them doing these activities. That is what we call them as teachable moments, right? That's when they're most open to learn and change behavior. So you catch them through those diagnostics and then ask them to change their behavior. I think the change is more lasting. So these are some of the things that goes into creating a culture and spreading awareness within within the organization. Great examples. Thank you so much for sharing. This is very helpful. So there are a couple of things I want to follow up on. One of them is learning. And you mentioned just a little while back that doing things in small chunks. So my thought is that if you approach security learning from the standpoint of, say, one question a day that gets emailed to every person, who has to respond. It's like these word games that people play every day. They have to come up with the solution, but one a day. So instead of trying to impart a one-stop shop training at one go and then do it again six months later, if you infuse cybersecurity training into the organizational work practices, whereby, you know, just like I said, one, one question a day, and you approach it that way, what are your thoughts? Do you think that might help enhance awareness, sustain the level of knowledge? What are your thoughts? So I I agree with this idea and the concept because, you know, doing a security awareness course once in a year for one hour is just you're going through a motion to just get it over and then, you know, go back to what you were doing. I would say that you need to sort of make it more modular. I would also say that you need to make it more specific. So for example, you can have a different kind of a questionnaire or a a course for your sales team. You could have a different one for your operations team. And you could have a different one for your leadership or your managers, right? So that you can cater to the questions that are more relevant to their context and their uh, day-to-day operations. So I am I'm fully up for making it more modular and more specific to them. And I think that way you can become more razor sharp on what you really want to achieve and what outcomes you want to achieve. Yeah, that's what I was thinking that uh, many in many organizations, you know, they are compliance driven and I can't fault them for that. And in the name of complying with regulations, they have this maybe twice a year this one hour you talked about training where you go through the motions. I just went through one. I essentially saw the same set of questions that I saw last time. And I just flew through it. Well, maybe partly because I work in that area. But I was thinking that I wish these questions, scenarios were 
were customized to what I do in the organization over and above the general level of awareness. And I, I, I often wondered, I'm surprised that why is that sense, sensitivity to make training more substantive not there? Why is it that organizations are so compliance-driven that they, don't, they don't recognize that compliance is often not enough and they need to go beyond that to have a substantive effect? You know, once again, I want you to draw upon your experience and shed some practical light on this matter. So I think, uh, you know, the way to look at it is even, for example, if the organization is doing for compliance, the security team still have a responsibility to, you know, drive it in the way that they want outcomes to achieve, right? So they clearly have an opportunity to make it more modular and, you know, you know drive that within the organization. But of course, you know, if you look at the organization of our size where we have hundreds and thousands of employees, uh, one hour commitment or even 15 minutes commitment translates into a huge amount of uh, commitment, right, for every single employee. So you need to be, you need to take that responsibility of why you are committing yourself. I would like to add that the framing of questions and scenarios is a very, it's an art, okay, you cannot an average person, even in security, will not will not be able to get it right. So it needs to be curated in a way where every single answer or a decision that somebody is making in that training should lead to a, a learning. And sometimes you just go through the motions of asking questions and answers that you lose the, the real meaning and reason why you are really asking that particular question. So... I think the framing is very important where somebody would have to really think through an answer so that even if, for example, it was tough for that person to answer it, eventually afterwards, there is a learning which comes out of that. And it should not be something where he's able to just get it, just breeze through it. So I think that's very, very important. And it's not, that is not easy. And that's why, you know, People, you, you know, most of the courses that we see in organizations are not are not actually focused on learnings, but they're more focused on going through the motions and, you know, compliance. Very true. Very true. Okay. So we are kind of coming towards the end of our discussion. I do have two final questions for you. The first one relates to effectively monitoring and responding to cyber intelligence. You know, when you read about breaches and you hear stories about how somebody dropped the ball, did not act on the intelligence they received from their service provider, you wonder what's the real issue. Means, means it's easy to criticize and say, you know, you all need to be more diligent, more disciplined, you shouldn't drop the ball. But when you are there battling this problem, what are the challenges? Why do you think uh, individuals, organizations often drop the ball when it comes to cyber intelligence. Yeah, so I like to give an example, you know, and it's a fascinating example. So I was, last month we had gone for a trek, and it was a very difficult trek personally for me. And I reached there and then we saw a bunch of army folks walking to that cliff and we were just observing and they were then rappling down from that cliff like, like a cakewalk, okay? And, and I was extremely amazed with the amount of preparation and the physical fitness that they were actually there. And they were planning for a run, midnight run from a couple of clips, you know, 
you know, then then they were going to finally do the rappling, and it was extremely difficult. But that person was doing it so e- easily and efficiently that it was like a simple uh, walk. And I was I was suggesting that even this is peacetime, right? And people are training so rigorously so that when they're so they're basically battle hardened, right? And and when something really is required, they're fully ready and resilient to deal with it. I don't think we are able to replicate that level of preparedness with our cyber soldiers. We have multiple solutions like cyber range and breach attack simulation and MITRE framework. And, you know, we do a lot of tabletop exercises. It's nowhere close to how Army looks at it, right? And so when you see a real incident happening, it's very difficult for the person to really, you know, go through that as diligently because it's a very rare event. 95% 95% of the time, the security teams are focusing on protecting, building controls. They are not defending, you know, managing incident response. Only very rare occasions when, you know, somebody is really attacking your organization. So, so that was just one analogy I wanted to give you. But, you know, we are obviously, you know, it's not like a gloomy picture completely because we have a lot of solutions and tools at our disclosure. And our endeavor should always be that how do we make all our staff battle ready in peacetime, right? And that requires a lot of vigor, a lot of focus, a lot of training and getting everybody really to you know capture the flag and all those events. So we do a lot of that, right? And by doing so, we are able to make good progress, but we could do m- much more for them to be fully ready. You know? And therefore, you then have the situations where we see examples of, you know, it was there, it was to be seen, but nobody acted on it. Right. It's interesting you you shared that metaphor of the army training, and that brought back some memories. If you think about the consequences of the attacks, if the consequences of an attack is fatal, is catastrophic, I promise you the training and the preparedness would be at a different level. But when the consequences are not of that nature, maybe that has some impact on how we prepare ourselves. To be more specific, Again, referring to my book, I share an example of the culture that exists in the United States nuclear Navy, the submarine program. And I have several former former students who have worked on those submarines, who have trained on those submarines. And they come back and tell me that Dr. Chatterjee, the training is so rigorous because we can't afford to make a single mistake because a single mistake could be catastrophic, could lead to a nuclear disaster. And they share with me several examples. One that I found kind of very interesting was when you receive an order from your superior, you're supposed to repeat the order verbatim before you execute it. In other words, they are trying to avoid any kind of communication loss or communication leakage. But to do it religiously, consistently, day in and day out, that discipline is motivated by the consequences of not doing it, which is death. Just a thought means, you know, there could be any number of reasons that, like you said, we are nowhere close to being as disciplined or as prepared as they are in the army. But maybe that that could be the reason. Who knows? You're right, because if you look at even the another example of, you know, airplane security system, right? Whether you're flying a low-budget airline or a you know full-class airline, you would when it comes to security, there is no compromise. 
even the manuals of the different airlines have the same table of content and that level of standardization just so that people are able to learn from master the security and the general operations of airlines and the technology that work underneath so because the consequences are very high right uh, and it's linked to human human my sense is that you know we we the moment we start seeing a high frequency high impact events happening perhaps we will become much more focused than what we are today i'm not saying we are not focused but we are giving it the attention as much as it is, as it deserves but uh, the consequences are not like you said as high but for example if you start seeing given that we are talking about connected devices connected cars connected everything if it starts creating harm to humans suddenly things will start changing right and will start giving more attention to it because at today right now we are actually adding more and more vulnerabilities and issuing more and more patches every year somebody should ask the question as to why is it the case why is the rate of innovation and pace of innovation so important that you are actually ignoring security right so the answer is that we, are, we can do it because we can get away with it tomorrow if you can't and we are more accountable then you know perhaps things will start changing because that's the root cause of the problem yep very true so vishal i also wanted to share with the listeners your passion about mentoring young individuals how you encourage them how you guide them to successful careers in cybersecurity and of course that passion was evident when you came connected with our class online in the evening your time and you were very generous with your time and you spoke at length you took questions so what advice and recommendations do you have for professionals who are either entering the field or who are considering cybersecurity as a career so one of the things which which i talked about in the early part of our discussion was the the fact that it will actually test all your faculties right because of the various dimensions to the role so i think it's very exciting there's never a dull day or a dull moment in cybersecurity space number 2 it's such a vast topic and there are so many areas so you can master one and then look forward to going into something else whether it is technology whether it is behavior whether it is organization dynamics whether it is governance all of those get tested and so you can keep planning your career in a way where you can start building those as milestones number 3 it's a great career opportunity it's one of the top 3 jobs in the world right now and so you know once you select this as a profession you're assured for the next 2 to 3 decades that you know you will have a good career you know we have 0% employment issue right now in in the cybersecurity space right so unemployment is never a risk or you know you can remain secure in your job but i think most important of all is the cause right because uh, it's i call it as noble profession because you are trying to protect you are the sentinel you are and the, uh, so therefore the ability to create value for your organization for the ecosystem is immense right so so i think you know and the world is getting to a stage where we are getting more and more digitized and so we need cyber sentinels who are doing this noble cause of fighting against this very dangerous you know threat that is there uh, in the world so so there is a lot of fulfillment you know when you when you do this you know and and for example when i mentor young kids you know i i get immense amount of fulfillment and 
that you know i'm cre- creating value and i'm adding value to the community and ecosystem by getting you know more people initiated into this so i would say these four parameters clearly clincher for a profession like this fantastic we're going to end on that note uh, we greatly appreciate your time vishal hope to talk to you again thank you so much thank you for having me thank you so much it was a pleasure a special thanks to vishal salve for his time and insights if you like what you heard please leave the podcast a rating and share it with your network also subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes thank you for listening and i'll see you in the next episode the information contained in this podcast is for general guidance only the discussants assume no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast The information contained in this podcast is provided on an as-is basis with no guarantee of completeness, accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. The opinions and recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the discussants and not of any organization.